Welcome to the Tactics Meeting, Episode 8, Gen West and the Development of World Track Web, for Monday, March 8, 2021. I'm Dan Smiley, and I'll be your host as we talk to subject matter experts about response tactics and technology. Today on the program, we're happy to be talking to John Murphy, president of Gen West. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. And to Brianna Yearwood, who is our project manager with Gen West. Brianna, welcome. Thank you. Hi. And Al Hershire, who is the developer, uh, grandfather, uh, godfather, really, of WorldTrack and WorldTrack Web. So excited to have you, Al. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be on board. Thanks. And Lexter Tapawan, who is the administrator and technical support for Whirl and World Track Web. Welcome, Lexter. Thanks for having us. We'll start with you, John. You guys have been hosting the Whirl for, for many years uh, at no cost to the entire oil spill community. And we're so lucky that you guys stepped up when you did to take on that role. But what what is Gen West as an organization? What are your specialties? What is it that you do? We specialize in information management, particularly around environmental uh, information management. And so we uh, historically have worked with federal agencies and have been responding to oil spills for over 40 years uh, well, and well, developing information systems to support the responders. And so through our work with the federal response agencies, we developed relationships with uh, response community within the response community. Some of these tools that are, you know, that we've developed, they support various areas, but in when the Coast Guard, well, actually we can talk a little bit more when we get into Whirl, but it, it was our involvement in the response community and our desire to support these people who are just invested heart and soul into protecting the environment and protecting the, uh, the marine waters uh, during spill responses that uh, we just, we felt like this is how we could contribute. And so that's what we've been able to do. Gen West is a small business. We're headquartered in Edmonds. We're now up to about 70 employees uh, around the country. Almost all of our work is uh, working with the federal government, providing them support. And then in addition to that, we, we like working with industry as needed. We enjoy working with you too. And Brianna and Lexter have provided some amazing support in the area of resource tracking to the last three worst case tabletop exercises that I designed and facilitated. And I'm looking forward to having that be the case throughout 2021. You talk about, we're gonna talk mostly about World Track and World Track Web today, but what are some of the other tools that Gen West has developed? They're, they're mostly tools that are in the federal uh, toolbox, like uh, the Cameo suite. We were the original developers of, of those packages. We have uh, staff who still works with NOAA on their modeling for uh, oceanography for their uh, spill trajectory models. You have and a role in, in uh, GNOME? Yes. Matter of fact, we, we have developed uh, GNOME databases for sites where NOAA wasn't able to get to them. And so they suggested that uh, the, the companies or, or, or uh, agencies come to us 
And so we've developed that and then we, we continue to work with GNOME during responses. I love GNOME Web. I'm using it all the time for, for drill planning. I think it's one of the greatest things that's come out of NOAA well, yeah, one of those... uh, since, since the nautical chart. <laughs> well, GNOME Web, interestingly, in GNOME Web, embedded in GNOME Web, is another GenWest product, which we call the ROC, Response Options Calculator. And uh, NOAA and the Coast Guard saw that as being such a, a, a even though it was not developed under contracts with them, they, they felt that this was a great tool. And so they actually incorporated it into uh, GNOME Web. And I have your Cameo tool on my iPhone. So, I mean, I know you developed for, for, for NOAA and the EPA, but it's there on the Apple App Store and I use it from time to time. So good for, good for you. Is that your work, Al? I uh, know um, one thing but that um, John um, maybe is just uh, what shall we say just kind of pushing off to the side of it is that during Exxon Valdez uh, John uh, spearheaded an effort to create a graphic situation status for the cleanup of Prince William Sound and beyond and that was well before ICS so uh, it was that experience pre-ICS that um, allowed Gen West to participate in the implementation of the incident command system as it came on board in the late mid to late 90s. Well, that's a story we're going to have to circle back around. That's I'd a good story for yeah. another day. And I'm making yeah, a talk note to of John it. about that. I'm making a note of it. That <laughs> sounds well, like another podcast to me. It did involve getting computers from Apple that had not yet been released and getting a software for the that had not yet been released from another Apple vendor and uh, scouring the country for people we could fly up to Valdez to actually program on both of these not yet released devices. All right, well, that's a story. That's, that's a big a, an Apple nerd as I am that I definitely <laughs> I, thought, wanna... I thought I could throw that out. There. Oh yeah. man, I wanna, I wanna hear that. So John, the world got started in the in the late 90s in 97, which is actually when I came to oil spill response. I first joined Clean Sound Cooperative in July of 97. I was a oh, little okay. late to the oil spill party. And one of the few people who didn't start off at Exxon Valdez. And I'm I have another show that'll come out in, in, shortly with Scott Knutson and uh, Sonia Larson of Department of Ecology. Scott Knutson retired from the from the Coast Guard as an engineer in the DRAT, um, who was part of the development of the world, but you were there as well. And so what is, can you give us some background of how the world came into existence? If you want you, I recommend that people listen to that interview with Scott and Sonia, because that, uh, that whole thing really, it, it was due to Scott's uh, initiative and, uh, and vision for how this we could better manage response resources rather than having individual companies manage their own resources. And then all of a sudden during an incident, you've, you know, you're trying to figure out who's got what and where. And Scott had a vision for it. Uh, they started doing it in Excel spreadsheets, working with EPA. Scott chaired a group that included EPA representatives, response contractors, plan holders, state regulators from Washington and Oregon and all got together and they ended up with this tracking the original tracking resources was done on uh, excel spreadsheets 
but then they real, quickly realized that this was really uh, constrained by the Excel environment and by the single user trying to maintain it. And so um, realizing some of these limitations with the maintenance of the original Excel files, Jen West, myself and Al in particular, volunteered to migrate the Excel data files onto an online database hosted by Jen West. And we designed <clears throat> in close coordination with the Northwest response community, a, a, this database that is WORL. And hopefully you've already heard described there. We'll give a little bit more detail about what, how it is and what's in there. But I, the key piece is how much this was developed in conjunction with the response community. And so every field, every uh, expression here is, is based upon input from them. So Gen West, we're the implementers. And Al will be the first one to tell you about that. So Al, you've got this spreadsheet that the Coast Guard is kind of maintaining and it's got uh, you know, columns and rows of data, but Excel, as most people know, is a single user tool. And if you're gonna share it, you've got to email it around and now you've got version control problems and it's just a mess, right? It's just, you know, it's just, you can't, you can't manage things that way. So they've got, they've handed you this thing. And what did you think? Well, it's the old thing of uh, garbage in, garbage out. And, and so um, the first thing, just um, because Gen West has a uh, heritage and experience with uh, database management, how do you effectively manage data? Um, we basically tried to encourage the community to standardize the data that was provided. Uh, units of, of uh, measurement, um, nomenclature. And um, this was again at the beginning of the incident command system implementation where there were resource tracking standards being uh, invoked or uh, mandated by the, uh, by the federal government. And so uh, realizing the, uh, the need for a consistent and um, uh, multi-user functionality because it was too much for one person to manage, we looked at ways to uh, provide a collaborative environment where the uh, equipment owners could update their data on their own, contributing to this common database that was not intended to be a, uh, a, an ordering mechanism, but rather a directory, a yellow pages of where equipment might be in the event of an incident and the ensuing response. So, um, there was some pushback from the community originally. Um, and uh, just for those who may not know uh, what WORL stands for, it's Western Response Resource List. Well, over the years, due to the uh, feasibility and the functionality um, of, and the acceptance by the response community, it's now uh, called Worldwide Response Resource List because we now have uh, uh, equipment listed from foreign countries, uh, countries other than the US, um, and um, 
we're up to about over 9,000 items listed in the database. So um, that is the uh, compressed story of getting the spreadsheets to where it is today. Just to highlight some of the benefits that make it uh, appealing to the response community is that um, each piece of equipment is issued a unique identifying number upon submission into the world database. As such, it greatly reduces the confusion for managing this equipment that can be regional, national, or global. And so we all know how many uh, copies of various resources, skimmers, boom, uh, pumps, vessels, um, they can, they can often be mistaken one for the other. So by having that unique ID, that streamlines a lot of the management of the information. Additionally, response or, uh, regulators have seen the benefit of leveraging this database for their um, uh, management and oversight of the uh, response preparedness in their regions. As such, some uh, agencies are using the information to plot the location of equipment in its steady state, uh, uh, in its steady state to um, verify facility response plans. It's been such a success that um, the uh, potential responsible parties are now able to minimize the amount of work required to update their response plans if they merely update and keep accurate their equipment information in the world. So those are at a, at a very high level, that is the function of the world database and why it has grown in popularity and usage from beyond the Pacific Northwest. Brianna or Lexter, could you talk about how you utilize that unique ID, how important that is to you when you're actually doing resource tracking? I'll chime in here. Um, th there's multiple versions of, of the, the same thing. And so it's very helpful when you have that unique ID number, you know exactly which one you're calling out. And specifically, there's also this group ID function where it not only lists the vessel, but it can also contain the boom that goes along with the vessel. And so you know, if you enter in this um, group world ID number, you'll know that you are also getting, um, you know, the amount of boom that comes with it or the trailer that goes along with it. it it's the whole package instead of, you know, it, 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 makes, it makes the tracking much more, more simple. When you're using WorldTrack Web, it is a very simple matter of entering in the World ID number and you get all that data. Yeah, I remember the earlier days when all of that equipment was separate. So you have a boat, a work boat, and on the deck of that work boat is a thousand feet of boom. And perhaps there's a separate uh, portable skimming system on board. And when I think of the vessel, like in my mind, I know all that equipment is there. And so I, I order the vessel. But by not ordering the boom or the skimming system or the other things that, that, that go with it, 
I end up with a resource list that regulators or logistics or others you know, don't realize all this other equipment is is there or, exactly. or they don't track it correctly. So, you know, like when a vessel arrives on scene and it's got a thousand feet of boom on deck, the way, way I teach people until that boom goes in the water to be used for a specific task, that boom is staged. Right? It's mm -hmm. available because it's it's in its original storage container, right? That storage container has to happens to have been transported out to the actual spill response, but I'm not using it yet. And so people get a little confused. So I remember when that group ID number was developed. That was your idea, wasn't it, Al? Uh, I think a joint decision, but um, I helped to make it happen. Yeah, right did that. So we had this world database now, this Yellow Pages, if you will, a list of resources, and you've broken it down into discrete pieces of, of data. I like the way you put that because I so often see columns of data. An address is a great example, right? People put put an address in one field in Excel, and they'll put the, the street address and the, the city and the state and, and the zip code. Well, in the data management world, the city, the state, the zip code, those are discrete pieces of data. They belong in their own data cell or their own field in, in the database. Longitude and latitude, I often see them put together in one field. They need to be in a separate field. You know, the, the name of the vessel, the organization name that owns it, all these things are discrete pieces of data. So I'll bet it was a struggle for you in the early days to try to convince all of these organizations that they needed to display their data in a different way. Yeah, it um, like I alluded to a little earlier, there was some pushback by certain members of the uh, response community just because of their uh, heritage and their focus had yet to uh, realize the value of having standardized data. Through the first few years and with the uh, unfailing support from uh, the Coast Guard, we were able to get uh, the community to understand the, the need for that standardized database. And that was huge in allowing us to develop a, uh, a, a catalog, a database that was meaningful across the board and that made sense. We were able to uh, get people on board and then as they saw the value of it, they were happy to continue the process seeing that they were beginning to benefit from having such a database. So and and then, if, if I can jump in there a little bit, Al, while there were some companies that were hesitant to uh, get involved, there were other companies who caught the vision. They already had their own databases, but they realized that having access to other people's data and also having other people know that, hey, this, this firm has this capability, this equipment, gave them a, a visibility to respond and perhaps be called to respond that they might not otherwise have. And so the aspect of nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd, when you, when you start putting that equipment up there and people see that this is there. And so we had a lot of cooperation from the equipment owners 
in helping us to flesh this out and what fields are important for tracking and how do you, how do you track it in your business and how can that work with these other people and how they track it and then scott brought in the standard international lexicon after a while and that conversion would happen too and and al went through all of that but i just wanted to to stress that there were a number of industry folks who just really jumped in and, and helped make this work well and work closely with Al on it. One other footnote on uh, uh, the uh, use in, in uh, tracking that Brianna was addressing is that by having a, uh, a printout or several printouts of this database sitting on the various section tables, um, there is the ability to quickly look up because of the standardized uh, way that the data, the, the, the items were listed, it was very easy to look up a piece of equipment that you might need, refer to it by a world ID, and then quickly generate a uh, resource request form for that, knowing where it was. And from there, we could determine how long it would take to get on site. And it just streamlined the whole uh, acquisition process um, but also then by uh, rabbit earring or, or dog earring, whatever the term is, uh, that particular item that it's been ordered, then you wouldn't order it again. So it was a way to begin effectively managing the status of a given item. That's a really good point. Another way that I use the unique world ID number is in filling out ICS 210 change of status forms. So if I take that boom that we were previously discussing that is sitting on the deck of a workboat, and now I'm going to assign it to a task force. I'm gonna put it in the water to do collection or recovery. I'm gonna deploy it at a geographic response strategy for exclusion or collection. I'll put that boom on the 210, but I'll put the world ID number in parentheses right next to it so that people can see not just that I've deployed a thousand feet of boom, but I deployed this thousand feet of boom because it's its own unique entry in the database. And maybe I only deployed 500 feet of the thousand feet of that batch or or stockpile that was available and i need to be able to show on my resource list that now 500 feet of boom has been deployed but still show that there's 500 feet that's still available for deployment and that that 500 feet although technically in staging is also out there bobbing around in task force three so and, and there's so much data that's moving that people can be very unsure of what it is they're looking at. We get trailer loads of boom that are showing up, a thousand feet in a trailer, 5,000 feet in a trailer. We start divvying it up to specific tactical purposes and we have to track that 500 feet of it went to division A and a thousand feet of it went to division B and another thousand feet of it went to task force three. And we do that by making sure that the resource unit leader gets that unique world ID so they can specifically update the database accordingly. So now you're, you're, uh, you're, you've just illustrated or described the, uh, 
the quandary or the challenge that we had once the world database began to be uh, used during spills and, and, and drills. And so what we started seeing was a challenge in tracking these resources once they were uh, called out. Exactly the point that you make, Dan, about let's say you have that thousand feet of boom. Well, you can actually split that resource into two line items in your in your database in the well, what we needed was a database where you could split that out and track them separately, but always relating them back to the, the parent uh, resource. And so, um, and this was all right at the time when um, the ICS resource tracking standards were being not only deployed, but being enforced. And so we were having uh, regulators look to us and say, wait, you say you have this, but you show that we have this. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, while the uh, potential responsible parties were doing their best to prepare themselves to respond effectively in the event of an incident, the resource tracking by itself was such a formidable problem that we're we were seeing recurrent failures in meeting the expectations of the regulators. And that brought about the idea of what can we do to help the response community succeed in responding and effectively managing their resources in a drill or response? Yeah, there has to be a better way. And some people were still taking the data from the world and writing it out on T cards or trying to print it out and then doing this very manual resource tracking process, which is anybody who's tried to do that over time knows can get pretty unwieldy pretty quickly and you end up still having to sit down with a piece of paper and a calculator and add up how much data you have how much boom you have in this line of t-cards and that's not effective not efficient so we had this problem right we've got the database we've got this yellow pages of stuff and it's got all the information in it that you need to track but no tool to really manipulate it right it's 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 static in a way it's a shopping list right so now you're looking at how do you manipulate how did you do that al well we again we look to the community and um all along gen west is uh, our job our wheelhouse if you will is managing information not the mechanics of cleaning up oil. Although because of our experience, we've gained some knowledge of that. But what we saw was we looked to the response community and uh, we would see some very proactive and sharp people working for these response organizations who tried to solve the problem by using these very intricate linked Excel spreadsheets that if you were the author or the generator of those linked spreadsheets, you could, you could operate it in somewhat of a pragmatic and timely fashion. But trying to share that with other members of the response community just brought more heartache and failure because of the uh, fragility of those, uh, those spreadsheets. So um, what we did was um, took those ideas, those screens and those lists that we saw that the end users found effective to them, 
and brought that into a uh, hopefully an easy to use, cost-effective system that the response, the resource tracker did not have to worry about all the underlying links and connections and the relationships that is uh, incumbent on uh, for such a system. So that was the um, beginning. And we went through several iterations in trying to make a tool that was actually going to cut the mustard, if you will. And so uh, it finally rolled around to this system called WorldTrack, which we wanted it to be cross-platform. There were some people, mostly PCs, a few Macs out there. We wanted it to be seamless across both platforms. We wanted it to be a very simple graphic interface where you didn't have to be working in rows and columns. And um, we were able to put that together in a freely distributable package that a tracker could download and begin using. And that would actually help that person, that tracker, arrive at the products needed to demonstrate to the response that there was an accurate picture and understanding of what equipment was where. So that's how we transitioned from spreadsheets and trying to track the problem into a system that would generate a 209, the status summary form. Um, of course, all that was incumbent on tracking the information or entering the information correctly. You have to label a skimmer in a certain way through its resource kind and type. And the community had no problem adopting that because they saw the benefit of abiding by those conventions. So that's how we got into kind of the 1.0 of tracking. And that was, so I could download this tracking tool. I could download it either for my Macintosh or for my Windows computer. And using the underlying list of equipment that was in the world database, I could begin to develop a picture of resources that are actually being used on a response or, or being simulated in a drill. Correct. But that was still single user, right? I download the application to my computer. I'm the only one using it. That is correct. It uh, kind of the 1.0 was, let's see if we can get, uh, get something up and running in a single mode. Um, and in a worst case, um, that would be enough to get maybe you through a small response, a tailgate style response or something like that. But as we know, um, incidents can grow in size and we began seeing uh, people, the response community uh, asking for multi-user capability. Right, so version one uh, worked pretty well. I, I used it in a number of iterations. I used it on both the Mac side and on the Windows side. I was at Marine Spill Response Corporation when World Track Web came, came out. And I want to go back up a tiny bit and give uh, kudos to Mike Miller at MSRC, who developed one of the more useful Excel spreadsheets that you were talking about. And when he was running it, it was very effective. But as you say, if you got beyond the 
24-hour, 48-hour period or got into a, a large amount of resources, you could be overwhelmed in that system very, very quickly. And so even somebody as experienced as Mike Miller, who understood all of the formulas and relationships that were built into the Excel spreadsheet, uh, couldn't keep that up over a long period of time. So World Track was, was great, but now I want more than one person. I need a team, Al, it takes a village uh, to, do, to do this. And so we, we came to World Track Web. Tell me about that. Well, with the, uh, just as you say, um, anybody with any experience in resource tracking and who's dealt with a number of uh, drills, you know that the uh, scenario is typically from the, uh, the beginning of the response through the first 24 hours or so. Well, it just so happens that that is the most uh, uh, critical crunch time for resource tracking because you have a significant amount of equipment called out to a response with uh, all that information trying to be assimilated by one person sitting in the, in the corner of a command post. Well, we, in seeing that that bottleneck was uh, uh, painful to all parties involved, uh, we began seeing the benefit of having multi-user. And so uh, we uh, experimented with uh, migrating or porting the work we had done in the standalone, the single user version, porting it over to a multi-user version. And while that sounds uh, uh, like maybe just a flip of a switch, it turned out to be significantly more than that. And um, so uh, the lessons learned from, from the WorldTrack, uh, we did port over to WorldTrack Web, but also enhancing it with input from users and regulators alike. For example, there's no resource uh, tracking uh, requirement mandated by the ICS uh, uh, parameters to track the uh, recovery capacity of the response. But yet that's what regulators uh, and really all concerned parties in a response were always concerned about is what good is having equipment here if we don't have an adequate amount of, uh, of recovery capacity in the form of what's called EDRC, estimated daily recovery capacity. And uh, likewise, um, what good is having an adequate amount of recovery capacity if you don't have vessels or uh, storage items able to capture that recovered material? So uh, we began tracking things like, and this was an on-the-fly tracking, so as you change the status of given pieces of equipment, like Dan was referring to, you may use a thousand feet of boom, you may call it out, but you're only using 500. Well, we don't want to show that a thousand feet of boom are actively working when only 500 is. So basically we had four parameters, categorical parameters, the EDRC, liquid storage, number of people, and the amount of boom uh, being uh, that was actually in play. Um, and, that might, and that means by being active, working on the water. So uh, the, the idea was that uh, Gen West, we've always, worked in a, a bit of a prototyping before we put it into production. We put together a server that was hooked to the internet that people could log into. And we proved out the concept of a multi-user um, 
incident-specific tracking system. And on top of that, we could have multiple incidents running concurrently on the same server without there being interference uh, from uh, between the incidents. Additionally, we felt there, we saw that there was a need for people, obviously multi-users to be actively editing and entering data, but also the need for people maybe working remotely to look in as a view only. So all of a sudden we took a T-card concept that was basically fabric on a command post wall and turned it into an electronic system that was manipulatable by multiple people and also viewable by multiple people. And so that was the, the genesis, or I should say the transition into the multi-user realm. And we began seeing that it was a benefit to the Osros and that its use was growing. So that's how we got uh, the transition, how we made the transition into the multi-user realm. And has that been popular? Well, yes. And uh, to the point that um, we have multiple response organizations now using the, um, the WorldTrack web tool as a steady state training tool. The, um, the, as I mentioned, the server can handle multiple incidents while maintaining uh, confidentiality between the incidents. And so uh, we actually use the term incident to manage a given uh, situation or training scenario. And there are some uh, response organizations that maintain right now up to four or maybe even five separate incidents for their organization and they are training regionally uh, independently so that they can uh, become proficient in the use of the tool in the event that a response occurs. So out of that, um, we've seen the bandwidth, the need for the bandwidth increase, and um, also the server, the prototype server in our office needed some enhancement as far as backup and power redundancy and that type of thing, which obviously in this cloud-centered world that we live in, cloud computing, we recently have ported the prototype server that actually became a production server to the, to the cloud. And we are soon to announce a transition from the uh, GenWest office server to a cloud-based easily uh, modifiable in terms of bandwidth. We can adjust the demand for it pretty much on the fly. So it, it basically positions GenWest to be able to support the response community into the foreseeable future using current and emerging technologies. My organization, the Washington State Maritime Cooperative maintains two of those incidents. I've set it up so that I have one that's always warmed up in the in the bullpen and ready to go if i have a spill that we're responding to and then one that's used for training for drills that my 
uh, incident commanders can get in and mess around with and don't have to worry about uh, breaking. I I'm logged into one of them. I think that I haven't taken any of the data out of it since the last drill. When you say you can change it on the fly, so you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, if you look right now, if you go to your server, I mean, I'm logged into it. Maybe you're logged into it. We might be the only two, right? Thankfully, we don't have many incidents, uh, but we do have the need to train. Obviously, uh, well, the, the term for this uh, sizing is called scalability. And so in a steady state, we maintain an adequate amount of headroom, both in terms of bandwidth and number of users to make it um, uh, financially possible for Gen West to provide this service to the community. What you mentioned about you having active data in one of your incidents speaks to the uh, user control of their data. Basically, those a, a given incident, a discrete incident, is checked out to an organization and they can use it as they want. They can add thousands of items to the incident. They can change the name of it. They can change the location. They can do what they want with it, realizing that if the server does crash, uh, we have backups and can be back up, at least in the, in the, in the prototype server where we are now. It's about a half hour to an hour recovery time um, but uh, with the, uh, the transition to the cloud, that will be uh, invisible to the user and it will uh, recover uh, because of redundant servers in the cloud network. So the data is safe in terms of as safe as it can be in an electronic environment. It's protected in terms of password protected and it's up to the uh, point of contact for the given organization using an incident to control who can have access to that. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of how it works. So when you talk about scalability, you know, your existing server is running what? Four megabytes of RAM, eight megabytes of RAM, which, you know, adequate for the kind of use that it's getting. But all of a sudden I have a worse case and I want to go from having you know, three people in a resource unit logged in to having 20 or maybe 40. You know, I go from managing 15 or 20 resources on a drill to hundreds or maybe thousands, or in the case of Deepwater Horizon, tens of, of thousands. Are you able to scale up? You have to get a different server? How does that work? Right. Well, one of the beauties of cloud-based networking is that um, the, uh, the services that provide this capability to the public and to industry has set up a system that when you uh, acquire or establish an incident, uh, an instance with that service provider, you have scalability in terms of your platform, in terms of how fast the processor is, the, how many cores it is, the amount of memory available to you, the amount of uh, storage memory, not, not only RAM, but storage memory. It's scalable uh, pretty much on the fly uh, just by changing 
but going in and administering your instance. So we are able to throttle up an, a response without having to do any hardware exchange. And um, that affords us the ability to go from, you know, zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds. Well, that is just amazing, Al. It's a, it's a wonderful technical world we live in. So I just say, Al, I need more. I need more warp speed. Al, we need warp speed in the next five minutes and we're all dead. You're going to be able to kick some more dilithium crystals online and get me moving. Well, it's the world we live in these days and uh, with uh, the arrangements that Gen West has made and has been exercising actually for the better part of a year now in terms of uh, getting the bugs out and working out, making sure that it's uh, production ready. We're, uh, we're very close to the point of saying that uh, yes, we can respond when the balloon goes up. In going to the, into this web version, we've created a couple of additional forms in, that, that are above and beyond or, or super versions of ICS forms. The, uh, the 207, many of you are familiar with the organization chart, which is this uh, stick and box diagram that often is hard to fill out comprehensively. And if you do fill it out comprehensively, it becomes perilously close to being illegible. And so um, what we've done is taken the idea of the organization chart and turned it into what we call a dynamic organization chart in that by classifying your in the specifications field or the specifications parameter, we've developed a very simple code for a person's position in the command post. It's very intuitive if you know the ICS command structure and how the various sections and units are referred to, it becomes quite intuitive, but there's a wizard there that allows you to correctly categorize uh, personnel such that when that is done, you can click a button and it generates a 207 on the fly that puts everybody in their right uh, uh, section, whether it's UC or, uh, or, or logistics, um, it puts everybody in their right positions uh, so that the overhead and the, the labor intensiveness of managing an, ice, uh, an org chart for resource, the resource unit is very much minimized. The same way with the 209. As you know, the 209 is the responsibility of the situation unit, but blocks eight and nine on the right side of that form are the responsibility of the resource unit. Well, WorldTrack Web has incorporated a, a, uh, an automatic 209, if you will, such that should the situation unit leader or, or the person managing the 209 would want to use WorldTrack Web to manage the 209, that person no longer has to go over to resources to get the information from resources Additionally, the left side of that 209, which is, has to do with oil budget and uh, uh, shoreline impacts and injuries and impacts to uh, wildlife, that information is carried forward 
into the next 209 so that the uh, situation person only has to update those parameters, those values that have changed. On top of that, well, you get the, the update of the resource information as well as personnel in the field and in the command post, but also it archives each 209. So you have a cradle to grave history of those 209s electronically for uh, post incident or post drill assessment. You can go back and you have this, uh, this uh, data available to you. So uh, those are some of the enhancements we've made above and beyond the basic resource tracking requirements to help make it more uh, useful and valuable to the resource community. Uh, if I could just hop in here, I just wanna brag about Al for a second. As someone who's worked in resource tracking, I can say that these improvements he's mentioning are real lifesavers when it comes to response or a drill scenario. Uh, having the ability to generate a 209 can be a major stress for folks in the situation unit as it's updated constantly. And Al's given them the ability to generate an up-to-date 209 with all the accurate information at the press of a button. Um, I've actually been in several drills where we gave someone in the situation unit access to World Truck Web so they could generate the 209s on demand and it made the entire process so much more smooth. Um, also, as you mentioned, you have the ability to print out a 207 that captures the ICS positions of everyone in the command post. And it also include, can include non-players like observers or evaluators if you're in a drill setting, um, which is also a big time saver when you're in a drill or incident and times of the essence. Uh, at the suggestion of users, I think it was Sonia Larson um, in particular, he developed a status report that groups equipment by assignment so you can see a breakout of all the resources by task force. Um, and gosh, another awesome one that he just added was um, the ability to generate a contact list or the ICS 205 once you've input personnel. Um, so that's really, really helpful for the folks over in the comms unit. Um, I, I could go on and on about how helpful um, World Trek Web is, but our goal at GenWest is to provide uh, useful tools to the response community. Because of that, GenWest developed World Trek Web on our own dime. However, due to the success of World Trek Web and the additional costs associated with increased demand within the response community, in the future, we're looking to move to a model of charging a nominal subscription fee to cover the costs of maintenance and requested improvements by our users, but we'll certainly notify and coordinate with all the World Track Web users well ahead of time before we move into that. Well, there's a lot of services that I pay in that way for the Puget Sound Marine Exchange makes their AIS feed available and they charge $300 a year for that and, and I subscribe to that. Exactly. And, you know, I subscribe to Grammarly because I'm a horrible speller. <laughs> Aren't the, we all? The list goes on and on, <laughs> on and on. And I've been involved in some uh, software development uh, over the last couple of years where we looked at developing, you know, a training database. or we looked at uh, something that could uh, uh, manage a spill management team list of people along with their experience and, and training records. And when you go out to start developing this kind of application, 
that is uh, available through a web interface and allowing multiple people to use it, developers are charging 35, 45, 50, thousand dollars to put that stuff together and you guys have been developing this product for for many years i won't ask how much money is into the development costs but i can very discreet thank you i can guess (laughs) i can get i could make a stab i'd be like how many pennies are in the jar uh here i'll I'll put a number on a post-it and i'll fold it in half for later we'll see we'll see how close come we have been very fortunate to have al um at you know, working on this project. And it has, his creative problem solving has been invaluable. And, and having his connections to the, um, to the resource, you know, community, but, uh, you know, to, to industry um, folks with at MSRC, um, it, it's been so helpful. And so we have definitely benefited from the fact that, that Al is willing to work on this and, um, like I said, his, his ingenuity. Well, and he's always available. Thank you, Al, to answer all of my questions, no matter how rudimentary they are at, at the time. So that has, if I can, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dan. I, I, that's, I've always appreciated that. He's like, it's, he's never like, oh, I don't have time for you on that. He's always answered my questions, and I want to dig under the hood and see how you did the 207. Yeah. <laughs> well, just real quickly, when you mentioned digging under the hood, uh, just to backtrack just a little bit, uh, one of the things that pushed us to World Track Web was the fact that a lot of uh, big industries and uh, agencies, both state and federal, didn't have the ability to run standalone World Track. They couldn't. They couldn't run. They couldn't put an EXE if you're in the PC environment or a a a Mac application onto their uh, either agency or, or corporate machines. And so that was another push towards that. And then as we got the WorldTrack web up and working, um, I want to at least acknowledge too, Dan, your role in encouraging us to think outside the box of our, our limited, literally our box in the office and moving to the uh, the cloud, and just what it, you know, as you as you pointed out, it's it's been a a multi-step transition because things that that just as the WorldTrack standalone had to be modified a bit in order to run WorldTrack Web, WorldTrack Web has to be has had to see some changes made and some additional maintenance and and support uh, in order to get us to the point where we're we're close enough to uh, see uh, in the not too distant future, um, the migration of uh, World and WorldTrack Web to the cloud and the benefits from that. So thank you, Dan, for your input and encouragement in that direction too. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be part of the community. I'm a, you know, I'm a fanboy of WorldTrack and WorldTrack Web. Well, and, uh, one other footnote, if I could, is a, a common question for people who are considering using WorldTrack Web is how can, once I put my information into the system, what if we have to change systems? Can I get the data out? Um, maybe a uh, good example of this would be 
an incident starts out small, but all of a sudden, uh, you know, let's say that a rig uh, catches fire and, and sinks. Um, that it, would never happen, Al. It, um, all of a sudden, you've got a major event. And to be uh, very candid and transparent, um, this tool is not the best suited for those uh, extreme uh, scenarios. There are better tools out there for the job. The ticket is, well, what if we start out, why would I want to start out using one system if I've got to then change to a bigger system? The analogy I use is that uh, World Track Web is like a Ford F-150. And um, there are other systems out there that are the uh, 53 foot semi with the uh, Peterbilt pulling it. Both vehicles can go to the store and get a quart of milk, but it's about using the right tool for the right job. And um, obviously you don't want to um, uh, haul big loads and uh, excessive loads in an F-150, so you need to use the bigger tool. WorldTrack Web accommodates that very easily by being able to export out the data that's in progress, the tracking data that's in progress, such that it can be imported basically automatically, very seamlessly through standard export import file formats into systems, those larger systems. So um, that has been a huge uh, uh, parameter or attribute of WorldTrack Web that has allowed it to become kind of the everyday training tool and, and go-to tool for the bulk of the incidents that are thankfully not extreme. I think, it's a, I think that's a great uh, analogy that you're using with the F-150 pickup truck, because on the one hand, I can drive that truck myself, right? And you can use right. track Web yourself. You can log into the incident and you can manage your own stuff, or, or I can hire somebody to drive the F-150 which is what I do. I have uh, yourself or Brianna or somebody from Gen West come in and uh, be the driver in those in the early stages. And maybe I, I have a few other people uh, uh, taking their turn at driving as, as well, but we're still kind of keeping it in-house. And then at some point, I need to go to the bigger system and I can export the, the whole thing. So drive yourself, hire a driver, or or migrate to the Peterbilt. Right. Yes, John, you had a comment. Well, very much in line with what you were saying too, Dan, and that out earlier, Al was talking about the scalability within WorldTrack Web. What Al just described is that scalability beyond WorldTrack Web. So that you can, you don't have to think, oh gee, well, what if I hit the limits of WorldTrack Web? Well. It is, it is designed such that that scalability extends outside of the program itself by this clean handoff. And that's been a feature of Whirl for years is we put the Whirl data out every night, something like two or three in the morning, it comes out with a, a, a dump in, I think it's still four, four or five different formats, Al? Uh, yes, five. And so that just in order to make sure that everybody who wants to use it, who needs to use it, can have access to it. And that's always been a driving force behind us is not just getting 
constrained and living in our own you know, pr uh, proprietary environment, but making sure that whatever we're doing, it's gonna best serve the community and then be able to continue that by handing off to other people to, uh, to take on that effort. Yeah, I work mostly, and I mentioned this in my podcast with, with, uh, with Scott Knutson and Sonia Larson, I work primarily with the two Excel formats, the uh, uh, worksheet that's got data, a workbook that has each organization's data on a worksheet, but also in the single export where all of the data is a single worksheet in Excel, which which works best if you're going to pull it into another another system. Occasionally with the comma separated a file that also is, is downloaded. I've never worked with the DB file. So that's four. You said five. What's the fifth one, Al? It's a simple uh, uh, text file. Um, the, uh, the, the DBF file is typically uh, useful to those users who are going to pull it into a GIS. Okay. And uh, the, uh, the merge file is the uh, simplest for um, uh, kind of one platform to another transport because the, uh, the very uh, simple data export has uh, the file, the, the field name as a header. The simple text file does not. The CSV file, I don't believe, has a, um, mm. uh, uh, a field name descriptor to it. But at any rate, um, and then you mentioned the two uh, Excel files. Um, so, uh, so that kind of in a nutshell is the various uh, uh, differences by the, in, the, in, the, in the download formats. And that's for, that's for world. That is world, right. Right, um, make that in clear. In WorldTrack Web, you basically have those same uh, file formats, uh, but because a world track web incident is specific to the user or organization that's requested it, that is not freely distributable. That is something that the user, the authorized user, can download at will, and at that point, they determine the uh, format in which they want to download the tracking data, uh, which is a superset of the equipment information because you have all of the status and location in, uh, information that accompanies the equipment information in a given incident. Perhaps among the most important or useful in that uh, response tracking information is the fact that WorldTrack Web logs every uh, event that is impacted or that has an effect on a given item. It logs it individually with timestamp and who, who made the change so that you can track the status of any given piece of equipment involved in that incident from cradle to grave. So I can go back and see when that 500 feet of boom came off the vessel and who moved it. Exactly right. And it's all, it can also benefit in cost tracking and verification in that if you uh, acquire the resource of a backhoe, for example, for say shoreline cleanup, you can, you, uh, with, through the status change form that you mentioned, 
you can begin tracking it when it comes on scene and you can then track it when it's demobed. And so you can then determine if the invoice from that backhoe contractor is in alignment with the uh, information in the tracking system. Wow, how long did it take you to put that history file together, Al? It's, uh, <laughs> it comes together quite simply actually. So uh, um, it, uh, it's just been a fun thing to see if we can get various things to work. Excellent. Well, in keeping in mind that you can drive this F-150 yourself, over the last several years, you have put together a number of training videos to help the lay user out. How many are you up to? Any idea? More than 10, I believe. And so we're, we're kind of in the process of adding a few more because there were some that needed some updates. And so, yeah, Al had quite a bit of videos up that, you know, users can easily access and um, start learning how to use Whirl and get to know how great of a tool it is. I'm adding those videos to the training library that I'm asking a resource and situation people to watch prior to my drill. So thank you for doing all that work for me. Very good. Well, there's uh, there's room to grow. There's a number of those links on that tutorial page that uh, have yet to be populated. And that's uh, that's on Lexter's and my uh, to-do list here um, in the next uh, few weeks, actually. And just to key off of, of both your what Al just said and, and your point, Dan, our tutorials would be greatly enhanced by getting input from people like yourself, your listeners or, or podcast audience to if they think of things about this that they would like to get a tutorial. You know, I, I need a tutorial on this particular aspect. That really helps us because as developers, we're guessing. We're guessing at what we think might somebody might benefit from. But uh, hearing from yourself, from other users, uh, we'd be more than glad to do that. Yeah, the problem that I find myself as, a, as an amateur developer is that I can always think of a little uh, ad hoc way to produce something that maybe isn't the thing that I, I really want to. There's a there's an easier streamlined way to do it, but I I cheat. You know that's that's what we all do. It's it's called you know getting the job done. You, you you do you do whatever you have to do with the tools you've got available, and I I tell people that all the time. And I, I think back to something that uh, Dr. Jerry Galt introduced me to many years ago when I started in response, and that is uh, the statement that we reserve the right to know more later. <laughs> I like and, that. And it's it's something that, uh, and then also Dr. Jackie Michelle, her famous quote, of, we want to make new mistakes. And so I think that that we, we want to learn from our old mistakes. We reserve the right, right now we don't know, but we, we develop, we, we implement, we respond with the tools that we do know and learn about. And so that's why I think it's so important for people, if, if we're thinking about using WorldTrack Web or whatever you're going to use to uh, get in there and do it and use it in drills, as you've talked about. Um, and then if, if we can help support and, and, and help people learn so that when you get to that incident, this is a tool and, you know, 
I, I've been there. I've been there where I'm jumping back onto Excel spreadsheets or onto whatever my, my comfort zone is in order to get a product out in the heat of the battle. Recognizing that there's a tool over here that, that can do these things, uh, it, it has really helped me, particularly like the 209. You know, it's, it's a, a, an ICS form that it can take a lot of time and a lot of effort to try to get all that information captured and realizing that Al's built it in so that that right-hand side is basically filled in automatically for you. Uh, and the left-hand side, then you can focus on that and, and going into, and it's a, just knowing that these tools are out there and what they can do. And then if you come across some, something like you described, well, gee, but I wish it would just do this for me. Let us know. Right. Maybe we can, who knows what Al can come up with. Right, so Al might be able to make it work, or it might already do that. If you yeah, can ask exactly. the question, we could say, "Well, yeah, that's the button over here on the yeah. on the right." <laughs> but maybe what we do is change the label on it so that it becomes more clear, or something like that. Sometimes we, as as developers, uh, think in a certain way, and and you know, it it's not as clear to the lay user. So sometimes that's a thing. Right. Yeah, and so let us know. Yeah, and this brings up the point that as with uh, Whirl and WhirlTrack Web, all versions of it, is that it's dynamic. Uh, as we know, the response world and the response uh, requirements change. And um, we, as much as we're able to, want to uh, conform to those changes and those needs. So um, a, a, a takeaway from this discussion is that uh, while WorldTrack Web is uh, maybe going into what we would call version 2.0 here, it's really ongoing and a dynamic environment as needs uh, uh, evolve. And as the user community apprises Gen West of the need. So my, my advice to people is when you're starting a response is to load the tool up and start tracking early because it's so easy to get behind. That's why uh, Al's number, John's number, Brianna's number, Lexter's number are all on the list. So you might hear from me at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> so that we can get this moving quickly. Why we have a 24 hour answering service that will uh, get you to the right person quickly. Right, and Gen West is now approved as a spill management team under the Washington State new rules, at least for the planning section, correct? That's correct. So that that is great that you've jumped through all of those additional hoops. Anybody have anything to say in closing? Anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to touch on? Um, maybe, just, maybe just one footnote about loading the 211s, as you say, is we have uh, some users who have already loaded Excel spreadsheets for equipment that they would expect to call out for a given loca uh, location, incident location of a given size. And so they're able to import in those canned, if you will, spreadsheets. And that greatly streamlines the uh, ramping up the population of the incident for the incident. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's cool. More of those things that uh, you don't, uh, it's there, but uh, 
you didn't know to ask the question. There you go. We we don't know what we don't know. Wasn't that uh, the thing that Donald Rumsfeld said? The known known, the known there, unknown, and the unknown unknown. Right, which is more reason for these uh, new tu new tutorials to come out. So uh, we're looking forward to getting those uh, posted. Excellent. Well, John Murphy, Al Hershire, Lexter Tapuan, and Brianna Yearwood, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the tactics meeting. Thank Very you, good. Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Tactics Meeting. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, send a tweet, post it on Facebook. Stay safe, wear a mask, wash your hands. We'll talk to you next week.